My name is Owen Walsh, and this is the Brussels Beer City Podcast. Each week, a fascinating Brussels resident invites me, your host, to their favorite Brussels bar, where, over a drink or two, we talk about the importance of the bar to our guest, their relationship to Brussels, what they love, what they hate, and why they couldn't live anywhere else. My guest on today's episode is Dimitri Van Ra, brewer with Brussels Beer Project. Dimitri is a familiar face in the Belgian beer community, thanks to his role as self-described geek-in-chief and ubiquitous presence at Brussels Beer Project's Central Brussels Brewery and Taproom. Over a couple of beers, including some of his own work at his Scarbeck local, Dimitri and I talk about his formative beer drinking experiences growing up on the Belgian coast, how he chose Brussels over the US, and where the Brussels beer scene is at in 2020. Quick note for context, this episode was recorded before the COVID-19 lockdown in Brussels. Dimitri, welcome to the show. Hi, Owen. First question I always ask our guests, where are we? We are at uh, Barboteur. It's a bar in uh, Schaerbeek. It's uh, pretty close from uh, from my place, so it's, uh, it's a place where I can come back to have a beer before going home or... Uh, yeah, nice and easy. Maybe you can just, for the listeners, describe the bar a little bit and maybe how or why you chose this place today. Oh, the, um, the bar is, is a nice corner bar. It has a bit of a, a classic look, but then a big, big tap list with modern beers uh, from Brussels, Belgium and, and beyond. The reason we're here is it's, it's the best bar in the neighborhood, you know. So <laughs> this is my neighborhood and this is the best bar that's around and... Um, the owner and the and the bar people are nice, so uh, easy choice. Um, have you always lived in Scarbeck? No, um, since I've been in Brussels, and that's almost ten years. Uh, I was in Saint Gilles before. Yeah, and Scarbeck—it's a neighborhood that's really changing a lot. I think. Yes. Yeah, Scarbeck is also big, so Scarbeck looks very different depending on where you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, here next to the Parc Josepha, um, yeah, a lot. Yeah, even in three years that I, we've been here. It's changed quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, for the best, for the better. Well, I think so. <laughs> um, you're not originally from Brussels, though, are you? You're from, well, born in Mechelen, but raised on the coast. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about how you ended up here. Well, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously Belgian and Flemish. I might not sound like it. Um, but it, indeed, um, I grew up on the coast. Uh, that's where my, uh, my dad was working. And then... Um, studied in Ghent, and then uh, when I met uh, Alana, now my wife, um, we met uh, studying abroad, and um, and yeah, for her to, we made the decision for her to move here, it was easier than for me to go to US, and um, yeah, that had to be in Brussels, because if you want to, if you want to work uh, as an American, you probably need to be in Brussels, not in Ghent or in, in or in Bruges or something, so uh, that's a call we made, uh, yeah, 10 years ago. Um, so where did you guys meet? Where did you study when you were studying abroad? Yeah, we were in Krigvansta in the south of Sweden. Okay. It's in Skåne. Um, easiest was also always to go through Copenhagen um, to get uh, to get there. But uh, no, it was a it was a nice uh, a, a nice uh, time of our lives, and uh, still five couples are together from that yeah. time. And do you go back often to there or? It was it sort of a one and done situation. I think we should go back, but the building where we met is not there anymore. So we can go visit the school, but generally I go to Copenhagen, not to the south of Sweden. Um, and you were saying you went there as part of your studies. Obviously, you work at Brussels Beer Project now in the city. Um, 
were you studying beer or was beer something that you kind of discovered a little bit later? Discovered it later. Um, I have a master's in business um, and I didn't really know what to do with, with that um, with that master's. So I started working uh, for a market research company. I worked there almost three years. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't enjoying it. Political games, too big of a company, all the blah, blah, blah. And actually, by... You know, as a Belgian, obviously, you know about beer. I don't think you necessarily know a lot about beer. You know how to drink it, and <laughs> you know that there's a lot of different ones and that we supposedly make the best beer in the world. Um, so what, what were your formative beer experiences then, grow, growing up on the coast? I was drinking Jupiler and, and Hoogarden, and then maybe when you go crazy, you drink Aleffe, and then you learn about Trappist a little bit. But I had never really had any Lambic before until I moved here. I didn't have the experience. Well, if I had a sour beer, I think that something was bad, you know. Yeah. I mean, the Rodenbach was probably, as, as it's from West Flanders as well, like the closest thing before coming to Brussels and, and enjoy that. But I started, you know, I started looking at Belgian beers in American uh, alcohol shops. And I was always like, oh, wow, look at all these Belgian beers. And then I turned around and there were these hundreds and hundreds of American beers. And I was like, huh. They're making something else than uh, some lagers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then started trying West Coast IPAs. They were definitely too bitter. I kind of had to, to work my way in there. Um, so I, I really started to become passionate about beer. And, and I figured, like, thing, this thing is moving. Like, it's especially abroad first. And then little by little, more and more in Belgium as well. And I felt passion. And I can combine it with my, with my master. And I thought, wow, that's, that's the perfect combination. If you can work in something you're passionate about, you can give all the energy you want, you know? And so little by little, I started to, to self-study. I took a beer sommelier course um, here at Sintra mm -hmm. in Brussels when they launched that. And so little by little, I'll, I'll, I tried to get into the industry. Yeah, and, and how did that kind of study, did it help you? Like, did it help, in, in what way did it help? Well, it, it goes into like, it goes two ways, right? It's like... So Muderlambic is, for example, one of the first places where I started going and I didn't know any of the beers. And so you, you start learning that there's small businesses, there's passionate people behind it. The, the beer is more interesting, the people are more interesting. And so it kind of keeps rolling, you know, because I'm also someone who who digs into something when I, you know, when I really feel passionate about it. Yeah. And that's cycling, also very Belgian uh, football and and then later music and and every time I I research all the way to the bottom you know I can yeah. we can make a list of, of a few thousand breweries just now you know we can start <laughs> calling breweries and, and and famous beers that I've tried yeah yeah and was there sort of a light bulb moment or a, a sort of pivotal moment where you went from being let's say someone who is curious about beer and wanting to know more to somebody who was like right this is the industry I want to work in and this is how I'm going to do it. I cannot really say that it was one pivotal moment, but I, I think it, 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 it grew very organically. And so where I was looking what I could do professionally in my life, there was not something like that moving. And so when that started to come around and I started to put in the effort that I was, um, it, it, yeah, it became quite obvious that that would be a good way to go. Mm -hmm. um, and um, in Belgium, it was a bit tricky for me, I found at the time, so five years back when I step, uh, stepped actually into the industry. Yeah. How come? 
Yeah, I don't think, because I was drinking American IPAs, I was looking at all these super interesting, um, well-branded beers. And in Belgium, there wasn't enough of that. Um, I met Olivier and Sebastian from, from BBP back when they did the first prototypes, 2013. So I was in touch with them. Um, but to me, the London scene, for example, was way more interesting, yeah. you know, because they went from one, two breweries to, what is it today, 200? I don't know. Um, and so th there was a whole vibe, you know. I, I remember going to my first uh, Mickler beer celebration and, you know, again, I had a crazy, like, vision of like, wow, this is just a crazy scene. Like, yeah. these guys from Indiana who are blasting metal with their long hair and you're drinking liquid jam beer uh, from Mikeller or so I kind of felt like maybe I had to start somewhere else and that's why I started in London and I just kind of I kind of just was like hey I'm a Belgian guy likes beer studying it do you need help because that's what it was right I mean everybody starts small they grow fast and brew by numbers so where I started was one of those breweries that are were growing very quickly back then and so they obviously needed help because everything was manual. Bottling was manual, yeah. labeling was manual. Um, and so for them, it was like, yeah, sure, you're interested, come help. And so you're working in London as, you know, in, in the brewery. Mm -hmm. How long before you decide to make the move back to Brussels? And do you think with that interest in beer that there was any other alternative than moving to Brussels at that time if you still wanted to work in beer? Well, I, th I think it depends a little bit on, on offers, but I also think it depends a little bit where do you want to live. Because, like, London was great, but London is hard, <laughs> especially with a pay of a general assistant in a brewery. Um, and I love London, and I, I want to go back every year if I can. But living there, you need a, you need a good, pay, uh, good pay, good job. And so it was the idea to move there with the two of us. Um, but then the opportunity started to come around at BBP. Um, and it kind of felt... felt very natural to come back here yeah. and I've been back since yeah. um, so I think other places could have been cool I mean we always love going to to Scandinavia for example um, but I think opportunity takes you a little bit you know places you know so this is your local more or less barbiter and um, when you're not here where do you like to hang out in the city what are your favorite haunts there's a lot more now these days I mean drinking good beer around the city is quite easy. Easier than it used to be. Yes. Um, there, I mean, there was always good beer, but there was not necessarily a lot of independent beer. Um, and now you go to, to pretty much any bar, you can, you can get a good local beer. Um, so, Mutterlambic still, the classic Hist. But I hang, I hang out too much at the brewery, because <laughs> that's where I have free beer. <laughs> it's a hazard of the job when you work at a brewery, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we are on a beer podcast. Uh, it would be remiss of me not to ask what we're drinking. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you're drinking, because it is obviously from Brussels Beer Project. <laughs> and, and the reason mainly is that I, I, need, I need an alcohol-free beer now. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody had a rough couple of days in Berlin. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're drinking Pico Bello. Uh, it's actually a recipe that we started to scale down, <laughs> which is generally the other way around. Yeah. Um, so um, 
Sam had a great recipe, um, one of our brewers, English actually, um, which was a session, I, uh, session IPA 2.5%. And so we wanted to go further. And so in collaboration with Dirk from The Proof, mm -hmm. we were able to scale that recipe down to what is 0.3, um, goes through a, a mixed fermentation uh, to get to this result. Uh, so there's a lactobacillus and there's a very specific yeast strain, mm -hmm. so that only ferments uh, <laughs> 0.3. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but an alcohol-free beer that's flavorful, very citrusy, dry hopped. Um, it needs the acidity. Uh, I think alcohol-free beer generally needs the acidity or very strong hopping. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a good beer for me right now. And there's two kind of things that stick out for me of this beer. Number one, as a Belgian beer, obviously it's quite low alcohol. Belgian beer has a reputation for... 7%. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the second is that it's in cans. And again, Belgian beer, for those who may or may not be too familiar with it, moves quite slowly. Everything is still in bottles, 33 centiliters, 75. Are these... Were those two decisions to go low and then to can? Are they conscious decisions sort of for BBP, for Brussels Beer Project, to follow the market or lead the market? How, how, how does a decision go to make a beer like this? Yeah, I think, I think both, uh, both of those things have been very important factors in making the decision, uh, making this beer. Um, Alcohol-free, a healthy li uh, lifestyle is, is something very big. It keeps growing. Eh? Like we can see it also, the, the bigger breweries push, push the, the alcohol-free very strongly. And I think uh, for someone who works for a brewery, it's nice for me to have this product as well. Um, and cans is, is something we want to push really hard. It's the idea to, to have um, a canning line in the new brewery. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the cans we have right now, whether it's Delta, Juice Chunky or this Picobello, have been made at the Proof. Yeah, which is a brewery out in Locristi. Brews a lot for Mickler still. Yeah. Um, and, and as it's something we want to push, um, that's, that's, you, you know, we're taking the challenge that uh, we need to educate and that not everybody will accept cans right away. But yeah. Juice Junkie and Pico Bell are only, only available in, in cans. Juice Junkie also in cake. Um, and, um, and yeah, we did some mobile canning in Donsard. So we, we had that super session and then to me too, be um, mobile cans yeah. from a company in Luxembourg. Um, because, because, yeah, we want to lead that. Uh, and you mentioned, obviously, um, plans are underway to build a new purpose-built brewery out in Anderlecht. You've, I mean, you've obviously worked all the way through that. How much has that changed? What kind of sh shifts have you seen? Like, how, how has your work, your, person, like your personal role changed at the brewery in the last five years? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, and, that's, and that's also the beauty of it. You know, if you can keep finding things that you're interested in, you mm -hmm. can lead them as well. Yeah. So, like, I started as taproom manager um, with Olivier and Sebastien. Well, we were five back then when we opened in, um, what was it, November 15? Mm -hmm. October 15. Um, and um, I was also the only native Dutch speaker. So that obviously is something useful. Um, now, we're, now we're almost 25. Yeah. So I'm... I'm part of the furniture you know yeah. now I'm now I'm educating and I'm doing so many different things I'm one day in production because I want to be yeah. because I need to be close to the product I'm working on quality control and beer education and events uh, so many things um, yeah I mean as a brewery you guys are putting out one new beer every week mm -hmm. and for those 
listening who may not know too much about the beer industry, that's a lot of new beers to make all all the time. Conventional, traditional breweries will be making the same beer over and over and over again. How hard is it to continue to keep up that kind of inspiration, finding new styles, new beers? It, it Again, I think it's quite organically, and I think it's part of the DNA. It's it's part of what we do, and we never really question it. Um, it's It's that that need or the the desire to to create new things all the time like a chef would do as well in the kitchen is is what drives us and people might say hey but then you create less consistency i think we make beers that are quite often very similar but we learn exactly from using a new technique or a different hop or something different in the process i think that teaches us more um and and you know, we always have new people coming in, so people who have a fresh view on things, you know, want to try some pastry sour or, you know, like, you can see the, the people who've been there longer are, are fading a little bit towards, like, let's give, give me a lager. <laughs> uh, but you always have new people coming in with new ideas, so um, it's not really an issue. It's, it's, it's the beauty of it. And something like Pico Bello emerged from that process didn't it starting out as one of the weekly experimental beers and gradually becoming a more regular beer and then eventually ending up in the format that we that we that we know now. Yeah. I mean you've worked in the industry now for five years in Brussels. You must have seen an awful lot of change, not just at BBP but also in general, because we've gone from a situation of having well, one brewery at Cantillon, two breweries with Brasserie de la Seine, a third one with Brussels Beer Project, and now I can barely keep count of the number of breweries that are opening. <laughs> Yeah, same for me. <laughs> and, and Brussels was definitely lacking behind in that way. Um, but now, uh, yeah, now there's 20. I mean, yeah. pretty much. I haven't, I haven't even visited them all. Um, no, it's, it's, it's great one to see more independent bars and so more places where you can drink local beer. Uh, but it's also nice to see the, the, the scene keep growing mm-hmm. um, and people who, who really have their own identity. Yeah. Um, whether it's on Stummelings, whether it's uh, L'Hermitage, La Source, and so on. Everybody has their own shtick, and, um, and, and people are doing well. I mean, I, I, love, I love some of the beers that those people make, and uh, you can see that people are even, you know, getting renowned for it, like La Source now. It's, well, whether you like great beer or not. Yeah, so that's La Source who opened in October and made it onto the top 10 best new breweries in the world list. Which and, is I, and I think... It was actually very politically correct because they also added a Flemish brewery and a Wallonian brewery. So <laughs> the, the three parts of the country were represented in that top 10 of best new breweries in the world, which is quite incredible. Quite incredible, given that, you know, Belgian beer in the last, let's say, decade has not been the sort of, has not had the same kind of reputation it would have had in the previous 20 years, exactly. let's say. There yeah. are other countries yes. who are doing more, ex- who would be seen to be doing more exciting and innovative things. Belgian beer moves generally a little bit more slowly. Well, I think it's we're, we're full circle in that way. We're, the Americans started making uh, Belgian, English, German, Czech style beers uh, with some new ingredients, and now it's now it's back here, and we're inspired by by exactly that movement. So we're we're using a lot of hops, <laughs> and and making styles we wouldn't have been making 20 years ago. Yeah, and and what opportunities does the new brewery present, both? For the brewery itself, but also for you as someone who's been there almost since the beginning. Oh, I mean, we'll have two locations, so we'll have we'll have more stuff to manage. We'll have more people to manage. 
um, but it also gives us the opportunity to, uh, yeah, to keep to keep pushing our product, brewed them all ourselves in uh, in, in Anderlecht, with a beautiful um, beer garden right next to the canal, so we yeah, can we can organize events. It's a really interesting part of town to be opening a new brewery. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, even down south, five years ago is not what it is today, and I think in Anderlecht things might not move as quickly, but. We're also there for that reason, yeah. so we can help uh, clean up the neighborhood a little bit, <laughs> um, and then and then we can do so much more in Dansar. We can we can start doing more mixed fermentation uh, and stuff like that. So that's that's a bit the direction. Yeah, and coming back to you, I mean, you said obviously you've spent time living in Scandinavia. You worked in London for a little while. You came back to Brussels, or you came to Brussels. Mm -hmm. What keeps you in the city? What what keeps you here when you could move maybe somewhere else? Like, what do you like about Brussels that keeps you here? I think you know Brussels is a city, but it's it's very livable. Mm -hmm. I think for for a city of its size, for for where it is in Europe, um, it is it is just quite an easy city to live in, 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 in my opinion. Um, it it feels like home. Yeah. Um, I'm Belgian, so I get the absurdity of <laughs> of everything that's going on. Yeah. It doesn't really surprise me in too many ways. If you talk to expats coming in and they're like, what is this city? What is going to City Hall? You know, there's there's definitely a lot of little things that are very particular about Brussels. Yeah. Um, um, but I, 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 I bike to work. Um, most of my colleagues bike to work. Um, it's easy to get around. Um, yeah, I think yeah, that's that's why. And and of those sort of absurdities, or you know, they like to lean on the surrealist uh, foundations of, of 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 the city. What what drives you mad about living in Brussels? What's the thing that sort of like, if there was something that would force you out, what would it be? Could I just get some more sunshine? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a little bit less rain? <laughs> it's pretty grey out today, isn't it? It's what is it, the end of February? Classic, classic Belgian weather, yeah. yeah. Um, not, a, not a whole lot. Um, um, weather, weather is probably the biggest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not, there's not much that we can do about that. No. <laughs> um, and if you weren't living here, where do you think you would like see yourself ending up? Oh, I think I definitely need to have a nice environment. I couldn't live in a huge city. Mm -hmm. I, I tried that in London. Um, I, I'm not sure if I could live on the countryside either. It's like, city is nice and it has a lot. I like going to concerts and have good food around. So it's, it's, uh, it's a bit tricky, although I think in the countryside you can do a lot of interesting things. I'm also very intrigued with gro growing things and, mm -hmm. and fermenting other things and, 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 and grapes and, and so on. So it's, uh, it's, it's always something that's attracting. Will, I, will we move? That's another <laughs> question. Uh, I mean, maybe we'll go back to the States one day. So. Yeah. And where is your partner from in the States then? Where would you be ending up? That would be the state of Washington, so not DC, but uh, Seattle. Um, plenty of good breweries as I was well. Just so say yeah, also, yeah, yeah, also yeah. a good beer country or a good beer part of the US. Um, so, and what's next for you? Like, what's what's big on your horizon now? I suppose the new breweries coming up. You're going to continue to work to develop that answer. Is there anything else 
that you see on the horizon, ever opening your own brewery or anything like that? Oh, not immediately any any ideas that are um, that are coming up, but I always have things going around in my head. So uh, I I don't know where I'll be in five or ten years. I cannot say because uh, maybe something else takes over, like music did or or sports did back in the day, and then and then I go go dig in in that. Um, but yeah, new breweries for for next year. We'll start we'll start building this year. So I'm not too involved in that at the moment. But obviously, as soon as we're gonna start working on that, I'll I'll be a bit more in between the two breweries. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some really cool beers coming out of Dansar in the future. So uh, that will be a lot of a lot of fun. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. The one thing we always do at the end of every episode is we do a quick fire round where I ask you a certain number of questions and you tell me the first answer that comes into your head. Okay. Okay, cool. you ready? Yeah. Let's go. Okay. Favorite Brussels neighborhood? Scarbeek. Place Chatelain or Place Jus de Bal? Jus de Bal. Favorite Brussels restaurant? Ooh, nut nicht genug. <laughs> uh, Brussels waffles or Liège waffles? Uh, Liège waffles. Favorite no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite Brussels speciality? Ooh, uh, stump. <laughs> Truffles or pralines? Ooh, uh, truffles. Uh, favorite Brussels celebrity? Uh, I was just going to say Jean-Claude Van Damme, but that's not <laughs> true. <laughs> Eddie Merckx, but he's from Metz. Uh. Um, Stromae or Zwangerhi? Uh, I don't listen enough to Zwangerhi, but I should probably t- say Zwangerhi. Timmy, it's been great. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. And that's all for today's episode of the Brussels Beer City podcast. Thanks again to my wonderful guest, to all my listeners, and a special shout out as usual to the excellent illustrators I've worked with on this season of the Brussels Beer City podcast. Julian Kremer, aka Crump, for the podcast logo, and to Helinda Demarle for this season's wonderful episode artwork. Check them out on Instagram. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do consider leaving a rating and a review. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at owen at beercity.brussels or you can find out more information about me and the podcast at www.beercity.brussels slash podcast. But until the next time, thanks for listening.